Lord, I got to talk about some stuff that I'm guilty of too. Not guilty in the emotional sense, just guilty in the factual sense. And if you don't do something in me, Lord, nothing's going to get done. It's my role to be willing to be changed. It's your role to change me. And so I just, I just pray that you can move my spirit. Maybe somebody else hears too. So just put our fists down and put our guard down and let you do what you do in us. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So I'm going to read a passage, and then I'm going to talk about something else. And then I'm going to hopefully come back to what the passage is about. And remember that starting next week, I'm not just inviting you to come after worship to these sacred conversations. I'm personally asking you to. We got some work to do. Last week, we talked about this contempt, this arrogant self-righteousness that sneaks into all of us in the, in the wounds and the crevices, that makes us somehow think in some moment that we're better than somebody else, that somebody else is less worthy of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven than we are or that we're more worthy. And today we got to talk about something else, but let me read this passage first. It's from Paul. Paul wrote this letter to a little church in Philippi. And he says this in the second chapter, beginning at verse 1. He says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, make my joy complete and be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it one more time. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ.
Anybody hear anything they can use today? Yeah, man, me too. So look, I don't want to abuse God's grace because I have received grace upon grace in my life. And I'll be straight up with you. Nothing anyone here has ever said, nothing anyone anywhere has ever said has made me want to change. The only thing that made me want to change was God's grace. That's it. And I don't want to abuse that. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to make it smaller than it is. I don't want to take away its power. But I got to talk about something today that I'm guilty of. And so don't make the mistake of thinking that I'm talking about something that I'm not afflicted by. Because I am afflicted by it. We all walk with a limp somewhere. We all got some part of us that needs work, that needs to change. Because look, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Changing and growing hurts. Even little changing. But changing and growing is how we recover and heal, and there is no other way. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And those wounds in us that cause us to dysfunction and to treat people badly, to be rude to one another. Man, conceit that Paul is talking about, I get it. It comes from a place of pain, roaring pain. If we want that to heal, well, then we gotta, we gotta be open to change. I'm gonna lay a little bit more groundwork. I've never changed anything in me. Nothing in need of changing. I have been powerless over things that have owned me. And it really wasn't until I realized how powerless I was over those things that I ever got to a place in my soul where something could happen. I thought I could change it. I could change it by controlling something in me or controlling something in my environment or God help us controlling something in you. And I couldn't. But Jesus has been changing things in me from before I knew his name. From before I knew his place in my heart, before I knew he sat on a throne that rules the universe, before I knew any of that, Jesus was changing things in me that I could not change in myself. And so my role in all of this is not to make the change, it's to become humble enough to be willing to be changed. And again, I want to come back to this. Look, I do not want to abuse the grace that has been given to me, so please understand, I am on the same journey you're on. And it's more about progress than it is about perfection. It's about maybe today I can be better than I was yesterday. It's about little by little, because the God that I've come to know is a God of just in time, not a God of plenty of time. And only in times when I have found the humility to surrender things to this power, only in those times 
has change occurred in me? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple things because I just want to get a baseline, right? Raise your hand today if you have it all together. See, when I was growing up, I thought adults had it all together. I thought mom and dad knew what to do. Mom and dad were leading the same life of quiet desperation that I was, maybe with a hipper rap. I didn't see a single hand go up. Let me ask again, raise your hand if anybody here has it all together. Now, there may be places and spaces in your life where you got something together, but all together, that's a whole different thing. Let's do this again. Let's do it from a different perspective. Raise your hand today if you are doing the best you can with what you have and with what you know. Some of you ain't raising your hand because you'll be darned if somebody's going to say raise your hand and you'll raise your hand. <laughs> God bless you. Out of way. I like that. Right? But hear me out. I saw what you may not see, and that is that really every hand went up. Because before we open our mouths, we need to remember that we're all more alike than we are different. And if I'm carrying more than I can bear today, then so is that person sitting next to me. And once you throw that stone, you cannot take it back. Once you loose that word into the environment, you have loosed the spirit of something. And you can't take it back once it comes. So that's the spirit that I'm hoping we can work out of as we work towards this passage that Paul has for us today. Last week we talked about contempt. I hope some of you heard it. If you didn't, it's online. Not content, contempt. Thinking we have it so together that we have the right to decide who is worthy and who is not. As if my stuff is more righteous than yours, and my stuff is righteous and yours is not. My mistake is worthy of grace, but your mistake, I'm sorry. Today, we have to be brave. We have to do some work. Because I'm going to tell you something, Jesus called us all to love one another as he loved us. And you cannot love someone you fear. You can't do it. And most of the dysfunction that we put out into the universe is rooted in fear. It's where it comes from. Even the tough guy stuff, even the stuff that looks like brave is us trying to protect the place of fear where our foot is one second away from some abyss that other person just can't see, can't grasp, can't understand. And if we give an inch, it's just over. And so we put the wolf on and we come at people and we start to cut people who didn't cut us. We can't do it. We can't work out of a place of fear and be obedient to the commandment of Christ to love one another. 
So today we're invited to look inside ourselves, to find places in ourselves. I'm going to use a word here. It's going to sting, folks. It's going to sting. And I'm going to tell you it's a good adjective. It's even a good noun when it's applied to a behavior. But if you take the noun and you stick it on somebody, you are guilty of what it is that we're talking about. And that word is bigotry. Now look, bigotry has some other words. It's, it's defined other ways in Scripture, and we're going to get at that, right? But racism is not bigotry. Racism is a form of bigotry. So I'm going to use this word, and we're going to get at an operative definition. But we got to look inside ourselves and find places where bigotry has taken root. Because I can't change you. I can't even change me. But if I can do some fact-finding in myself and then some fact-facing in myself and I can get to a space where I'm willing to let go of it, well, then maybe Jesus can do something about it. And this thing is a spirit. It's a spirit that's hiding in us in the little dark spaces. And it's looking for a body, too. It's looking for a voice, too. It's hiding in the crevices of our character. It hides in unhealed wounds and unexamined reactions. Bigotry is a manifestation of something else. It's not the thing, it's a thing. Its root causes are fear and selfishness. A lack of trust in God to care for our needs. We experience fear, and then we react. We don't respond, we react. It moves us out of our thinking brain and into our survival brain. And we reach out to take the reins of things we weren't meant to control. The behavior of other people, geography around us. All we can do is look to our own stuff. Work out with fear and trembling our own salvation. That fear that I'm talking about, this is why you got you to gotta be brave today to even hear what I think Paul's getting at. To do the work that we got to do before we do the work we're going to do next week. That fear is probably really old. It's probably been in you from before you have a memory. And somehow, when we respond with bigotry, which I'm going to define in a minute, what we're doing, what we're afraid of, is that what happened to somebody else could happen to us. And so what I got to do in order to silence that fear is I got to make that other person something other than me in order to keep that fear at bay. I'm going to tell you right now, bad things happen to everybody. I've been doing this a long time, folks, and I have sat with people more righteous than me that are dying a bad death that they didn't never deserve. Been with families of people who their child was just sitting at a stoplight, minding their own business, and their kid is better than I'll ever be. 
I don't know why. I just know bad things happen to everybody. So making somebody other than us, as if making somebody other than us will keep the dragons and wolves at bay, that's just pretending. And pretending never ends well. In the Old Testament, we meet bigotry all the time. They just don't use that word. Let me use a couple words that the Old Testament talks about. And God was talking to his people when he called them stiff-necked. I'm telling you, a southerner wrote that book. Because that's a word I grew up with. Boy, you are one stiff-necked beast today. It just means I'm not open to hearing what you have to say comes out of a place of fear. And we hear it a lot in the book of Exodus when God is just trying to move people out of a place of woundedness and slavery and oppression into a land of freedom and milk and honey. It's just that there's a gap in between. There's a land that you don't know. There's a place of strangeness called the wilderness. And man, every time those people experienced fear, they got stiff-necked, stopped listening to Moses, and just went back to what they knew, because the devil they knew was better than the devil they didn't know. And they didn't know the difference at the time between the God of the universe and the devil that had them chained in Egypt. Stiff-necked, stuck, dug in, closed off. Here's another way the Old Testament talks about it. It talks about it as hardening your heart. Because the Bible people, you didn't just think from your head, you thought from your heart. You thought out of your soul. If you're just thinking from your head, you're thinking cold and calculating. But when you put those two together, you're getting a kind of thought that links up with some emotions, and emotions really drive us as much as our thinking does. In the Old Testament, we see people responding to the stranger in some vicious ways. Constant strangering. The Moabites, the Hittites, those are those people. And yet, we find this weird commandment This firm word from God that says care for the stranger because you were once strangers. It doesn't say care for the stranger. It says care for the stranger because you were once a stranger. Don't abuse the grace you've received. Don't look at somebody else as wholly other because they're not. And the ice that you skate on and I skate on is far thinner than we think it is. In the New Testament, we see bigotry in the entrenched self-righteousness of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who are so stuck behind their walls of certainty that they cannot look over them to see how their positions, their dogma, their rules, their policies are affecting other people. Seems like a good idea to have a policy that everybody's got to pony up some change 
in order to get right with God, because that's how the temple worked. It's just that for some of the people, 10% means everything. And for other people, it doesn't mean anything. And to take two coins from a widow is to take her house away. And they just didn't get it. And they were so walled off to the possibility that there might be another way to look at things. They couldn't change. And they didn't understand the wound in themselves that was in need of healing and the role that the widows and orphans have in bringing that healing about. The Pharisees and the Sadducees confess the love of neighbor. It's the Levitical commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they stood up and they preached it and they talked about it, but they refused to listen to their neighbor and consider that there might be another way to look at things that would lessen the suffering of those they claim to care about. Bigotry is not racism. Racism is a form of bigotry. But man, I got bigotry in me. It comes out in some ugly ways. It comes out in some funny ways, too. Because there's only one right way to roll up the toilet paper. <laughs> and then I got married and found out that the other way was the right way. You know what I'm talking about? So if we can laugh about that, maybe we need to find a way to laugh about some of the other foolishness that we engage in before we engage in it and throw a stone we can't take back. Bigotry is a refusal, and a refusal is a choice. And it is a choice to shut someone out and to consider the greater good. That's what it boils down to. That there might be something at stake that is more important than what you want or what you think. And that in order to include someone else, we might have to give up some of what we want and what we think. Bigotry is an animosity. That's why I say it's a spirit. It's an animosity. An intolerance towards people who have a different opinion than we do. And when I use the word opinion, I'm not talking about truth. I'm talking about an interpretation of circumstances and facts that might differ from our own. Now look, man, I can sit at home and I can flip on my TV channel. I don't watch them. Yeah, I do. I can flip on people who just agree with me and I am at home, at peace, unchanged, self-righteous, puffed up, feeling good about my situation. But as soon as I walk out that door, 
I promise you, I will encounter my contradiction. I will encounter the antithesis to my thesis. Something will challenge my perspective. Now listen, this is important. I am not saying that the word of God is not truth. Because it is truth. But the problem is rarely the word of God. The problem is usually our interpretation of the word of God. Because there's more than one way to understand what's written in these words. Bigotry is an intolerance. It is a choice. It is an animosity towards those who have a different opinion than we do, whose sin is different than our sin. Anybody remember in this book a hierarchy of sins? Where this one's worse than this one? I don't. I had somebody walk out here one time telling me about somebody in the congregation who was living in sin, and I just looked at that person and said, yeah, me too. (laughs) And you too. And which one do you want to talk about? Because my sin isn't any different than your sin. It's just different. It is a choice to move from disagreeing with someone to hating or disdaining someone who holds a different opinion or position than we do. It's seeing ourselves as better, smarter, or more worthy than someone else. N.T. Wright points out something really important. N.T. Wright's a scholar. Don't worry about that. Remember Jesus. Okay? He's a historian. He's a, he writes about a historical, critical perspective on, on way, a way to look at the Bible, right? To put it in the context of its time. And he points out that Romans valued personal virtue. You can, you can get a Ph.D. in virtue and never talk about Jesus. And just talk about Plato and Socrates. They had virtues. And their plan was you just go home and sit in your bubble and work it out. Become a better man, a better woman. You work it out in isolation, individually. But the values and virtues of the kingdom of heaven are such that you can't work them out like that because they are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And those have no meaning in isolation. You can talk about a motorcycle while you're standing in your garage, but a bike ain't a bike until you open that baby up. You understand? Until you get that out of the garage and put it on the road, you haven't met its antithesis. Okay? So when Paul writes this letter, it is the anti-bigotry letter. What he's talking about is letting those walls down and let God heal something because the point to all of it is that you and I individually and together might become more other-centered out in the world. Because he's not after you anymore, he's already got you. Now he's after them. And if we don't look any different than them, what's the point? So 
for N.T. Wright and for Paul, all this stuff has to be worked out in community. It has to be worked out in a place where it's safe to take out your stuff and put it on the table. And let's look at it. Let's see if someone that I keep calling neighbor sees something different than I see that might cause me some discomfort because there might be something I got to change or grow in. Let me read this again in the context of bigotry. Remember I said I'm going to talk about something else? I want you to hold on to that, that there are walls inside of you that are protecting fearful places. And you think that if you change that thing, man, whatever's happening to that person, that could happen to me because somehow me having this wall is what keeps disaster at bay. Well, it is not what keeps disaster at bay, and disaster may not be kept at bay. That is not what faith is. So let's remember that we have to let go of something in order for God to do something. We have to be willing to have these certainties changed in us in order for God to change them in us. And so let me read a couple of these verses again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not going to have time to share together here.